Third and four. Green looking to throw. Green flushed out of the pocket to the left side. Green stops, throws the ball downfield. It's complete. McAllister with the catch out to the 48-yard line. He'll move the ball on a first down. In the pistol, Hennigan in front of Watson. Memphis needs just one. Hennigan, Watson, strung out to the right side, tackled in the backfield. Shale Oladipo on fourth down, comes up huge, and Boise State denies Memphis with a fourth down stop and takes the football. Heavy package is in again. Green give it off, Genty, bouncing outside to the left. He'll stiff arm the man and score. Second touchdown of the game for Ashton Genty. It's his 10th of the season. And Boise State extends the lead to 16 to nothing. Well, what do we have to talk about today? No lack of topics as the Boise State football team enters the month of October, two and three for the second time in three seasons. Welcome on into Jay Sports Bar, Jay Tuss alongside Shane Williams Rhodes. The Broncos, yet another loss in kind of devastating fashion. When you get up 17-0 in any game, I don't care if it's played on the moon, you probably expect to be able to finish that thing out. In this case, the Broncos blow a 17-point lead and ultimately lose 35-32 against a fairly talented Memphis team, but you can't help but feel like you have a bad taste in your mouth following the fifth game of the season here, Shane. Yeah, I feel really bad because I think I made this uh, prediction and I think I was pretty pretty darn close. I think I'd say 34-31. Mm-hmm. But this is – we're in a very unstable state right now mm-hmm. in the state of Idaho. Yeah, this this program is is used to winning. I mean, we have so much to get to on Jay Sports Bar today. Um, we're going to talk about the quarterback controversy. Yes, I feel like it's okay to call it a controversy because it's not stable at this point in time. Um yeah, how Andy Avalos is doing in his third year at Boise State, uh, where the program currently stands, the expectations of the future. We'll address the defense, which has been one of the worst in all of college football so far this season. Um, but we begin with w- the talk about the quarterbacks because uh, I know that you know when it comes to the defense that it definitely ranks worse than where the offense ranks at this point. But the quarterback is the most crucial position on a team and not having stability there it, I feel like it's very easy for that to feel like the entire program doesn't have uh, doesn't have stability and, and at this moment that's kind of where I feel like we're at Shane I mean we've had to deal with this last year it's it sucks mm-hmm. and before I think the these last two years I honestly don't feel like we ever had a quarterback controversy around here it was you know this is the guy this is who we're going with and even when guys started playing a little rough, mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily being called out to be benched. In 2014, you go two and two, and there was definitely some upset people around. Right, but we weren't. They weren't necessarily calling for people's heads. Right, and and this is a little bit of a different situation, Shane. And you know, I don't want to spark chaos or or just have unrational opinions or. Um, anything like that. I, I think that we can have, you know, a conversation that's pretty justified by statistics and, and what's gone on. It's there, there are certain areas where you can debate about and offer opinions, but I also think there's a very logical way of looking at all of this where um, there's there's not a lot of gray area at times. You know, when, when you look at the quarterback position, right, there were sky-high expectations about Taylor Green this year. And in some cases, if you look at some of his numbers compared to last year, there's not a ton of difference in, in some of these areas. But I think whatever Talon did last year, it was 
man, look at this guy, right? Mm-hmm. And this year, it's kind of looking like what he can't do versus what, man, what he can do last year when everybody was just so excited about him. And now you start to see limitations because, again, the expectations were so sky high. I mean, everybody thought that he'd be a guy that would contend for Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year, and he couldn't be further from that right now. And that's not a matter of opinion, Shane. That is a matter of if you look at his 115 quarterback efficiency rating, he ranks 11th out of 12 qualified Mountain West quarterbacks. That, that's yeah. not going to get it done. No, it's it's not. And it just, right now, it looks like the offseason was not spent, you know, basically improving and perfecting the craft. And it doesn't look like the experience, because I think we're getting close to Taylor now being a guy who started for almost a full year now. He took over on offense mm. one year ago. And so now it's starting to look like he's not progressing. It's mm-hmm. more like it's a lot of regression going. And I get that. You got new play callers. You got, you know, it's it's different stuff going on. We're running different plays. We're running a totally different offense. I mean, technically, if we want to really look at this, this is Taylor's third offense oh, yeah. coordinator in a year. Yep. So there's a lot being thrown at him. But you can say that. But then on the flip side, you know, you pointed this out, you know, when we were just chatting that we can't complete a slant. And I don't care what kind of scheme you're in, a slant is a slant. Yeah. So it's a lot of things that have to be looked at when you kind of try to process this. But I don't, I don't, it's, we are not in a good state. That's the only thing I can keep going back to is just, mm-hmm. it's a struggle right now. I, I just feel like we have to address the concern before we get back to the positive. And I do think that there is a massive positive when it comes to tailing green. I'm, we are going to get there. But when, when we talk about, you know, maybe his, his growth as a quarterback, and I know that there, is a lot that goes into this, but it also goes back to things that Chris Peterson said, you know, over a decade ago when I started working this beat. The quarterback gets too much blame when it's going bad, but too much credit when it's going good. Right now it's going bad, so even if it's too much blame, it, it just sadly falls on the quarterback's shoulders. And I, I think that, you know, we, we so often talk about his downfield throws, right? And as I kind of watch him over these last couple of weeks, I actually do feel like a downfield throw to Eric McAllister is a a throw that he's actually comfortable making, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of his success happens outside of the numbers, though. Mm -hmm. So that might be him pulling it, running out of the pocket, uh, things like that. If if you want to, like, hone in on the middle of the field, meaning throws between the numbers uh, beyond the line of scrimmage, if you look at what he's doing in that department this year, he is 16 of 41. That is a 39% completion percentage. He's thrown for 295 yards on those throws, a 72-point yards per attempt average, which not terrible, probably just a little bit low. Uh, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Shane is a, is a guy that is one of the best pass catchers in Boise State history. What does that suggest in, in your mind? Uh, you know, obviously in between those hashes, there's more people, or in between those numbers, there's a lot more people yep. there than it is outside so it can be a number of things uh one just being being able to identify coverages Mm -hmm. uh obviously not understanding that backers are flowing and getting to the hook and those different things and understanding windows and where to put the ball uh you though that could be a a problem but then there's the flip side of obviously when he's throwing outside the numbers it's typically man coverage it's him throwing to his favorite receiver Mm -hmm. it's you know, it's, it, it's a lot of these things that go into it. How about, you know, I, I feel like when you also, like, roll out and you run, like, the boots or the nakeds or whatever like that, all of a sudden now you're, you're making eye contact with the guy that you're probably throwing the ball to. Mm-hmm. 
that also means the entire defense is, is flowing with you as well. For some reason, that, that's a comfort, that, 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 just, that appears to be a more comfortable throw for, for Taylor right Yeah, now. and then typically when you're flowing that way and let's say it's a broken down play and it's now a scramble drill, defenses are not in their correct spots. At this point, it's just everybody cover the closest man to you. So it's basically backyard football. Right, so, so now all of a sudden the timing mm-hmm. in which the offensive coordinator is asking you to operate on, it is mm-hmm. out the window. Yep, and so now you don't have to necessarily even think about throwing the ball in the middle of the field because you can work to a sideline. You can watch the flow come to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys typically are it's way easier to get open. So now you're talking about operating within the framework of the offense versus mm-hmm. outside of the framework of the offense. And yep. it seems like that's kind of where the, the latter is where it's more leaned. Um, I was curious, Bush Hamden's take on it this week. So I asked him about the whole outside the numbers versus inside the numbers development for Taylor Green and the difference between him and even Maddox Madsen. It's a great question. You know, I think as you guys know, um, you know, the ability to manage the pocket, the ability to play inside the pocket probably allows you to hit more inside throws, if that makes sense. You know, and I think, uh, again, whether right or wrong, we certainly with TG have been looking for more one-on-one matchups on the outside, uh, create max protection, if you will, to, to just create easy throws out there. And so um, it's just interesting, you know, because we, we again, they're, they're complementary players TG's been able to make a lot of those one-on-one throws on the outside. Uh, Maddox's probably worst rep of the game was a max protection outside throw, and and, and he kind of said it. But there, there's no escape in it, right? At the quarterback position, the ability to be in short, confined space, be accurate, allows you to make some of those throws inside. And not to, like, completely you know bash the kid, but – there is visual evidence of this happening. And the, the first, the, I, think, I think it was the third play of the game this last week. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they run a slant with Shea Whiting, and it would have been an easy first down had, they, had he just put it on Shea, throws it behind him. Fourth yep. down, you punt. We talked about this on the show last week. Uh, I, I can show the clip now because I, I, had, I, was out, we were, I was out on the road recording it last week, and it was just more difficult. But against San Diego State, it looks like Eric McAllister is going to come open on this slant for an easy touchdown. Steph Cobbs, Billy Bones do a great job. They push up, they clear it out for Eric, and Taylor just doesn't even pull the trigger on it. While it's concerning that he doesn't throw it, and this might sound like an excuse, maybe this is, is the excuse of why he doesn't throw it. If you throw it a, a, even a, a, a skosh late mm-hmm. and a skosh off target, you're risking a turnover in the low red zone. Yep. When you consider, too, that um, you don't have anybody else over there you know, to, to protect it, you throw a pick, it might go 99 yards the other direction. Yes. So when we talk about Taylor protecting the ball between the numbers, he has done a better job of that since the UW game when he threw two interceptions. Uh-huh. His, his only two interceptions came on throws that were between the numbers. So there, I, I don't know. Like As you said moments ago, Shane, like there are more bodies in the middle of the field. Yeah. So if, if bigger you, bodies too. If you lack <laughs> confidence of, of finding the windows or timing or things like that, your numbers are, are going to substantially dwindle between the numbers. For sure. And it's, and those throws are confidence throws. I mean, right. You, you have to be able sometimes to be able to throw a slant in the second window. So you have to allow the backer to clear and then you get behind and throw behind it. But if you already don't have the confidence to throw that ball, you're going to sit on it and then take off. Okay. So as I said earlier, 
there are there are ways that I don't I don't want to live in the gray area on this. Like it might seem like an opinion when we say that Talon is kind of lacking confidence at time. Although I do believe that's true. We could also just ask his quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator who spends more time with Talon than anybody what he thinks about Talon's confidence. Uh, probably just okay. You know, uh, again, I think uh, confidence at the quarterback position it certainly starts with yourself. And there's times where. Uh, you got to believe sometimes when the outside noise isn't there. And he's a guy that's done it at a high level. And uh, I think that's probably the beautiful part about about being a quarterback at this level of football is uh, sometimes it's easy when things are going well and, and when maybe things aren't, you, you find out who you are. And I think that guy's answered the bell over and over and over again. Um, but as you know, it just takes a couple throws here, takes a couple big plays there, and you're, you're kind of right back on track. So I think it's everything we've been training for uh, from a mental standpoint, the acceptance of what this thing could look like, and we're excited about you know him and, and, and looking forward to watching him on Saturday. It's okay? I mean, going yeah. into game six of the season, I don't, I don't think in any part of your entire football facility you, you want it's okay definitely not at the quarterback position i mean that's got to be the most secure it's got to be person on the field it, and i think if you look at the history of boise state that is especially the case yeah that is that's eye-opening i guess for you know the fans yeah and yeah i don't know how this week is going to go uh and how they're going to sort that out mm-hmm. An- another area i'm going to get i'm going to answer that in just a second here shane another area that i just wanted to bring up and, and i've kind of mentioned this on the show before too so oftentimes when a quarterback has time, that's because that, that becomes the moment where he picks defenses apart. Mm-hmm. But that's when your quarterback efficiency rating it, you know, goes through the roof, usually. Yep. In, in this case, Talon is a much better passer when he has under 2.5 seconds to throw. Because when he has over 2.5 seconds to throw, he's only completing 42.9% of his passes for 229 yards. That is a 4.7 yards per attempt average, which is... I'm sorry, but it's awful. I mean, that's that, that's that's low. Zero touchdowns, three inter- interceptions. If you thought the yards per attempt was bad, his quarterback efficiency rating on those throws is 69.9. Like I said, there we we can make this subjective, or we can like really bring up things that are probably a little bit of uh, not even not even a little bit that are a concern. That when I hear that when I hear what you just said, it make it takes me back to another scar that we are already having to reopen. I feel like. It's the receiver's deal. If you're a receiver and you get four seconds to run a route, you still don't have enough separation, yeah. the quarterback feels comfortable enough to throw the ball, then we're not creating enough separation. Right. Yeah, I like, mean, that, that's, there's no way anybody should be able to guard anybody for four seconds when you know where you're going and he does not know where you're going. Who's the guy that gets open on this offense when you have four plus seconds? I mean, because back in the day, you, you were the smaller, shiftier guy. You know, mm-hmm. that, that could have been a you. Uh, Khalil Shakur could get open against anybody in any amount of time. Didn't even matter. Um, <clears throat> but who who is? But even when you had your Khalil Shakirs and your and your John Hightowers, you also had your AJ Richardsons that go along with them. You mm-hmm. also had your Sean Monsters, other guys who made big plays who could get open. Yeah, there is outside of McAllister, there is no one getting open. Mm-hmm. And if they do find a way to get open, there's no one who's gonna you know, make the contested catches. Right. Like, there were a few catches where it's like, okay, we got both of our hands on the ball, and the DB was able just to basically punch through our hands, mm-hmm. and we just dropped it. Yeah. That's a team thing right there, I guess. That's a whole offense thing that yeah. 
they've got to get figured out. And I, I want to show you a juxtaposition too, because this is the part of the tailing green that you're like, well, there, there's a lot of meat on the bone here, man. Like there, there is a lot to be excited about. Last year on those similar throws, he, you know, he completed about 50% of his passes, seven touchdowns, five picks on throws of 2.5 seconds or more. So he's not, not necessarily world-beating numbers, but, I mean, you can live with those. Yeah. Um, when it goes back to, you know, throwing between um, the numbers, you know, in the middle of the field beyond the line of scrimmage, last year he completed 60.7% of his passes. The comparison, 39% this year. Last year, 60.7. Yards per attempt, 9.5. Touchdowns, 7. Interceptions, 5. Maybe still a little too many in, in, the, in the pick department last year. But the overall, just off the charts better than he is this year. Another thing that Taylor Green does that nobody else can do were the gifts that God just said, hey, man, this is how we're going to make you. And it's being 6'6", and when you're on the field, you're going to be the fastest human human on the field. Somebody messaged me on Twitter this week saying that Taylor looks slower. Taylor might look slow because he his legs are so long, he eats up like 10 yards in one stride. And that's like almost not even an exaggeration, Shane. He yeah. took off one play up the middle against Memphis, and he nearly broke it. But, like, he made the decision to go, and in, like, four strides, he was 20 yards downfield. Yeah, it's... I know people don't really understand, like, speed looks different on different guys. It so, does. You know, you say, you, 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 you look quick, bolts. man. Yes. Yeah, so like <laughs> me and Taylor running next to each other, I might take five steps, and those five steps are really quick. Yeah. But Taylor could take two, and they look really yeah. slow. But if we're covering the same amount of ground in the same amount of time, then same we're running the same speed. Yep. So it's all about, you know, I, I tell the kids all the time, it's, Speed is stride length times stride frequency. Mm -hmm. So if this guy has the length, then the frequency can be lower because mm -hmm. he's covering more with the stride length. I got short legs too, man. So the, the frequency <laughs> had to be moving for me back in the day. Uh, but, you know, so those are just the things that, like, they're going to earn Taylor every opportunity. Just to be clear on this, as we, we're going to shift into Maddox Madsen here in a second here. But just to be clear on this, like, I, I believe in Taylor Green. Like, I, I, I still do. I think he should be their starting quarterback. Um, but he's, he, if, if he can't do some of these things that the offense is required of him to do, then they've got to figure out a way to play to his strengths more. I'm not an offensive coordinator. I'm not a former college quarterback. Um, I don't pretend to know what I don't know. I, I just It feels like after talking with other people that do know more about the game than I do, Mixing in some more RPO would would perfectly suit maybe some of the the um, you know the the good parts of his skill set as well as you know safeguard the the deficiencies of it I suppose I agree because I also feel like people have been calling for the Taylor Green runs and this week we got those mm -hmm. he we he did it often and when he was pulling the ball and there were design runs he was getting eight yards a pop yeah so I think. The offense is going in the right direction as far as play calling. We're mm -hmm. getting closer to where we should be. Uh, Ashton still had 23 carries, which I think that's a pretty good number for him. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's not too many, and it's not you know, too little. That's a pretty good number. And then especially when you're going to get him another five catches for about 50 yards, mm -hmm. <clears throat> he'll make unbelievable plays like he did in the past game. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the one bright spot that every week, no matter what, that guy's going to make – 
a crazy play. I want to talk about Ashton Genty. I do, and it, it's crazy that we've we've made it through the post game press conference and the Monday press conference, and I'm we're getting to like the final questions, and I'm like, we haven't even talked about the kid that scored four touchdowns in the game, and so it's like that quick little last hitter. We're, we're going to get that to you in just a minute. But staying with the quarterbacks for now. So Taylor's numbers coming out of the Memphis game, 12 of 24, 50% completion percentage, not good enough. 200 yards on 24 attempts, I'll take that. Um, I, I do think it's important, no turnovers. Uh, this is a offense that cannot lose the turnover battle because the defense uh, won't stand a chance if, if the offense help, you know, loses the turnover battle. Uh, but when you compare Talon's numbers to what Maddox Madsen did, Maddox Madsen did in uh, much more limited time, and limited drives, Maddox was 11 of 14, 175 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he he really did kind of answer the call of what Boise State needed. Were all of his throws perfect? Probably not. But I think that he made decent decisions, though, still of where he wanted to go with the football, and he did what the offense needed him to do, and that was come on and move the ball in a hurry down the field, and he was he effectively did that, Shane. Yeah, and I'm not saying that I'm calling for Maddox Matson. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is, in the pocket, he has more confidence than Taylor. he does. And th- I I think it took me, Shane, and like when we talk about you know Taylor struggling to throw kind of over the middle of the numbers, or or between the numbers, um, and that's such a big part of the field. It's a crucial part of the field. But for for me, like when I saw Maddox come in and he, hit, he hits on a couple of these posts. Or even like the checkdowns and stuff where he clearly saw people dropping out. Mm-hmm. Like he just made decisions quick. He had anticipation on some of his throws. He threw to space more than he threw to people, I, yeah. I felt like. And for him, he came into the game in a time where you're down 14, 17 points. Couldn't it, be com- couldn't so it have you, been comfortable? So I can tell you that. The good thing with that is you know that they're basically telling you you can make the throw. Throw it no matter what. We we can't risk you know not throwing the ball and taking yeah. a sack. So it's just like. Just get the ball out of your hands. Like, mm-hmm. everything was kind of simplified for him. Yeah. So, it was a good time for him to come in and kind of do that. Uh, obviously, opening up a game and starting in a game where it's 0-0 zero, zero and you're not in that kind of situation mm-hmm. is quite, uh, quite a bit harder. <laughs> why, is guys, that har- why is that harder? So, if, you're, if it's 0-0, zero, zero, we're just starting the game, you know, I'm going to be sending pressure at you. I'm going to yep. be doing different things, uh, trying to figure out what's working and what doesn't work. And, obviously, when he came in, as you can see, they had been just dropping guys mm-hmm. and making Taylor make a decision, and Taylor was not wanting to make those decisions. Right. So they just stuck with it, and so he comes in, and now he's just, like you said, he's throwing the checkdowns, which we hadn't did all game. Yep. So now things are just wide open. No one's covering the guy doing a swing route. No mm-hmm. one's covering the flats and these kind of things. The, if, if the worst thing you can do on a play is get the ball in Ashton Genty's hand, it quickly turns into the best thing you can do on a play. You no, know, why not throw the swing route to Ashton Genty and let him take it 30 yards for I, you? Which, I mean, you saw uh, Mad Dog's first touchdown pass, and that's kind of what happened. Everybody dropped out, jumped it off to Ashton. Ashton was, again, uh, the best in college football after the catch and, and took it into the end zone. But, that again, it, it just shows you what you can happen, man. Just get it into your playmaker's hands and, and let them go. Uh, Maddox Matson this season, 22 of 32. He's completing 68.8% of his passes. That's uh, Bush Hamden said that's about 4% above where they actually would like like to see their quarterback see. So he's exceeded expectation in, expectations in those regards. On those 32 attempts, he's thrown for 319 yards. That's about 10 yards per attempt. Four touchdowns, zero picks. His quarterback efficiency rating, 193.7. Now, now, now we're talking about something that's like off the charts, right? For sure. Uh, he has as many touchdown passes this season as, as Taylor Green does. Yep. 
and which we know the thing that separates Taylor is his ability to run. Yep. So how many rushing are we looking at? Yeah, so that there's a substantial difference in that department between <laughs> between the two. On top of that, too, I, I think, you know, I, I asked um, – well, we'll hear from him, I guess. I asked Ashton Genty what Talon Green brings to the run game, not only with, with you know as it pertains to Talon picking up yards, but as it applies to helping Ashton and the rest of the running backs pick up yards. Take a listen. If you watch, really, the Memphis defense, they were keyed in on me. So having a guy who can pull the ball and run and uh, make plays for us, uh, it, it just helps a lot um, to take some of the pressure off me. Defenses, they got to pick their poison. Who do they want to stop? I mean, because either way, somebody's going to make plays. You focus more on me, Taylor's going to make more plays. You focus more on Taylor, then I'm going to make more plays. So why does that matter so much? Well, I, I think we can say the bread and butter of this, not just offense, but entire team right now is their ability to run the football. Yes. And Taylor's presence absolutely impacts that ability. We've heard all season about how defensive ends are playing wider so that Taylor doesn't beat them on the edges. Well, that softens the box and allows people to run between the tackles more. All of a sudden against Memphis, you see everybody now keying in on Ashton because they're like, okay, we're taking away two at all costs. Mm-hmm. And now that allows Taylor to get outside and pick up those six, seven, eight-yard gains as he's running out of bounds because, again, no, nobody is going to beat him at that angle. Yeah, that's where the quarterback situation kind of – that's why you can't necessarily just say, okay, we're going to go with you know Matson because if you do that – now your run game is no longer the run game you've had all year. Right. You're not averaging four or five yards a carry. And if you take away the run game right now? We're done. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I feel like that's the case. And that, that's why this is such a big decision. And that's why it feels like Andy Avalos used the word mixture following the game. He was noncommittal on who was going to be his quarterback, but he did use the word mixture. It feels like there might have to be a, a mixture moving forward while they, they figure out how to really approach this successfully. I still think Taylor Green is the guy though. And I I you know you we talked about maybe a lack of separation for for wide receivers. Now there are certain instances where the ball's not coming out on time and I don't know if I necessarily blame the wide receivers for a lack of separation. When you're scrambling around and you have four seconds to get open, that becomes your problem that the receivers have to find a way to get open. Yep. But when it comes to Maddox, you just knew, noticed the ball was coming out on time within the rhythm of the offense. And as a wide receiver, if you can catch the ball, if you look up and the ball is in the air, that means you're probably going to – you probably have a shot – catching the ball in space if that's something moving towards the middle of the field a slant Mm -hmm. a post anything like that which means that you're likely going to be going against the grain of the defense because now like I said when you hold on the ball and you roll out and everybody's flowing one way together it's hard to get separation if the ball comes out on time you catch it in space you have a chance to make a move before that defense can really react to you yeah it's true it it things are just not making sense right now we gotta but they also make perfect sense <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like it, it not, nothing makes sense but at the same time it makes it makes perfect sense of kind of what is and what isn't going on yeah I get I I can see that side of it yeah it's yeah it's the receivers right now I don't know understand why the struggle is the way it is mm-hmm. you know I feel like they've had the mentors from guys coming in and they played with Khalil they saw what Khalil did mm-hmm. And I, so I don't just I don't really get why we are where we are with the receiver room. So what's the answer? That's a good question. Recruit a uh, 
five seven quick wide receiver out of Texas? That, that might not be the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I you, the answer because we've never had to answer this question. I guess it's we're just we're really uneasy about yeah. that. uneasy about this. You one. know, I, I, and I just thought of this, Shane, and um, maybe. Uh, the answer was taken away against the University of Washington. You know, going into the season, they were using Shane, uh, well, excuse me, they were using Ashton as a, as a motion guy that would line up in the slot a lot, and they were moving him all around. And they, you know, touted how effective he was going to be as a receiver, and he has been effective as a wide receiver. But maybe he was supposed to be that guy that, you know, could could run a couple of those like little inside routes and get open, or I'm, I don't know. And Ash and George Helani was supposed to be more like that traditional running back, and Ashton's had to serve as the traditional running back with George Helani out. So there have been some things, I guess, that you know they spent all fall planning for, and they really did. And now they've had to find, you know, scramble to find answers, and and there's just more question marks than yeah. than periods or exclamation marks, I guess, on on what you want to see happen. Yeah, I can see that for sure, especially having, you know, a six-year senior with George and then losing him. I know that took a huge mm-hmm. took a huge chunk of the playbook out. Yeah, the good news is I, I think he, it's going to be too long before he gets back. I, th- I think it's a matter of do you want to try to play him at like a Colorado State or do you hold him out Colorado State because then he gets the bye and, you know, that whole extra week of recovery. It'll be interesting to see how they, they kind of approach that. I will say this, they're getting to the point in the season where at two and three – you're you're running out of options of whether you can save playing your your best players. It just I I get you, you want to protect guys, and that's obviously obviously should be priority number one. But um, sometimes you can have the luxury of ah eh, we'll we'll wait. I, I don't know if they're the the luxury is there if a guy is ready to play anymore, even if it means getting him that extra week going into the bye. We'll have to see. Um, so uh, now is is how will this play out? We asked Andy Avalos about that. And again, non-committal on who his starting quarterback could be or will be, but he did kind of explain how they would lay it out in practice earlier this week. On a typical week, as we all know, the first team quarterback gets the majority of the reps, you know, somewhere along the lines of 80 to 20. We're going to push into that just a little bit to give and know, to give ourselves a great idea of the mix of which we can, because we got two guys that are capable. It's nothing against TG. There are some things that TG needs to do a better job of. We've discussed those, and he's very well capable of doing those things, and we fully support him on those things. There's nobody in this building wants TG to be more successful, you know, than the coaching staff, his teammates, and as well as if Mad Dog gets his opportunity to get in there. That's the awesome part about it. You know, in terms of the game plan and what what plays certain people, it's going to be consistent. There might be a few. Um, that are specific, but otherwise we want to see the efficiency out of both guys, and obviously we'll proceed from there on. So typically between your starting quarterback and your backup quarterback, it's about an 80-20 split with, with reps, right? And, and I'm, you know, it probably means running with the ones and doing things like that. Um, I think the thing that concerns me about that when we talk about where you want to see tailing grow, I don't think a lack of reps is, is, a, is a good option right now, for one thing. It's not what's needed. No. Um, if anything, you want to you, know, you want to see more of that look, having him test his anticipation mm-hmm. and things like that. But there is only so much time in the day, and you got you got to put your team in the right position to win a game. So I was thinking about this on the way to work today, Shane. I, I wanted to ask you about this, but I don't think you were ever in a situation like this. So what goes through the mind of the rest of the team or the player itself when all of a sudden you know you should be in there for a rep, or you usually were, and the coach says, "All right, 
wide receiver two, wide you know QB two, whatever. You, you take this rep. Uh, that's that's I've seen a, quite a bit of that happen. Okay, especially with the receiver room. Okay. Um, I mean I've watched you know Chaz Anderson go mm-hmm. from playing DB one week to being the starting receiver the next week. So yep. it's happened. Uh, it can kill confidence, uh, especially at the receiver position mm-hmm. because you know we're typically. Uh, a bit more prima donnas than other uh, <laughs> positions. Hey, at least you admit it. So um, the quarterback position makes it very tough. I think that's the one position where it's worse mm-hmm. at that position than being at receiver because there's only one quarterback on the field. Right. Playing receiver is typically three or four of you out there. So uh, your shot at being on the field is a lot. You have a better chance at mm-hmm. being on the field. So being the one guy who has to come off because you're, I mean, you're supposed to be like the leader. And, yeah. All this that that can kill confidence, and right now where Taylor's confidence is, to me in the pocket, I don't think, I don't think that's probably what's best for him. But I also get the flip side of, you know, if someone's playing out of their mind and they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they're being a good teammate, and yep. when they're getting their shot, they're they're going out there and getting the job done. Then you got to give that guy more reps. Yep. So it's a catch twenty two with that one, but. It's it's tough because you watched the game last week and they started doing the switch mm-hmm. and I was just so confused because we were seeing quarterbacks switch every drive and and I believe Taylor scored on three of his first four drives. They were really successful out of he, the gate. He scored. And, and I will say this. So uh, another thing that we have to clarify as well, Maddox Madsen came in on the third or fourth drive. I think it was the third drive of the game. And that was 100% planned. They, they wanted to give Maddox a drive. The whole thing that happened in the fourth quarter where Maddox came in, that was not planned. That was an yeah. in-game adjustment that they felt like they had to make, meaning they, they benched Taylor Green in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. and went with Maddox Madsen when the game was on the line. But when you're up 10-0 mm-hmm. and your starter has scored back-to-back drives, mm-hmm. I think with the flow of the game, we got to make some adjustments on our yeah. game. It's just like we come out with a script. We know the first 12 plays of the game, right. but, you know, if – what we were doing is working. Why go off the script? But we're running with a quarterback, and you're you're doing this. We were successful, and we switch quarterbacks, and then we weren't successful, mm-hmm. and then we go back, and then we score again with the starter, and then we still take them. We're doing the switch the switcheroo, but yeah. I feel like that that killed a little bit of the momentum. Uh, you know, you're running a totally now. I guess not a totally different offense, but you're running different plays to fit obviously Matson when he's in and Taylor when he's in. But if you're rolling 17-0, I don't, I don't, I wasn't huge on the quarterback switch. Yeah, at the timing of it, it did seem eh, a little, little interesting. Zero zero, you go two or three drives and zero zero, and your quarterbacks, you know, not get it done. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. You're scoring, you're rolling up on the road. Yeah, and the gotta, defense just got. I mean, defense is getting a big stop on fourth mm-hmm. down. Shea Oladipo with a phenomenal tackle. Yeah, so. I'm just going to ask you this before we move on because this obviously has been a massive part of today's show. What do you do? What do you, what do you do, Shane? What's the answer? I think this is where I think there's only one person in the whole state of Idaho that can really tell us, and mm-hmm. it's Andy Avalos. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I'm not Andy Avalos because the guy, the old, what did Harson used to call the, the fans on Twitter? <laughs> I don't even the remember. Old, uh, I, I I don't think it was too complimentary. Like, or some yeah. of the some of the people that they are not happy right now. Yeah, I've seen a uh, you know some calls for some jobs and mm-hmm. all types of things, but 
it's tough, man. It's the, the at the end of the day, I get you guys out there, but at the end of the day, the players got to play. Yeah, it comes down. I do think there is something to that too, man. Like the coaches can only do so much. If uh, if if you're out of place on a run fit, and that did happen on a play this last weekend where and the kid played pretty damn good, like the rest of the game, Shane, but. It, there's that razor's edge cliche that they bring that they always bring up and you kind of roll your eyes on it because you're like gosh how many times can we hear that mm-hmm. but it does apply a lot and it was like they were rolling pretty good and one guy gets out of place on a fit because you know you think you might be in the wrong wrong play or wrong spot or whatever a little miscommunication whatever it was and memphis house is a you know they, they score on the play like it, it really yeah. the, the the line can be that fine at times so when coaches do say like gosh, like there, there's four or five plays in a game and it just seems like those are the ones that are always killing us. Well, you play really good teams at, at, at the college level, at this, speci- yeah. at this specific level, and if you make a mistake, you're going to pay. And even if it's only five to six times a game where you're out of place, five to six times a game can be 28 to 35 points. And, it, and more often than not this year, it has been for this defense. Let's, let's get to the defense because uh, we, we got to talk about them too. You know, you, you look at the numbers and some of these are, are really hard to, to look at, Shane. Um, again, you might think that this is a subjective thing to say for some people listening to this, but I, I have the numbers to back it up. They've been one of the worst defenses in college football this season. Um, yards allowed per game. They are tied for 119th in the country. How There's, many? How many teams? Uh, 132, I think. I, I can't remember now with 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 a couple teams moving up to the FBS level, but um, 132, I believe. So tied for 119th in in yards allowed per game. Yards allowed per play, 129th. So there are a couple that are worse than you in the country. Um, I guarantee. I mean, those. That's not a recipe for success. They're giving up 6.8 yards per play on on defense, Shane. I mean, you, you you don't even need two plays to achieve a first down. I mean, technically you do, but you, you get what I mean with the yeah, averages. It, it's sure. going to be hard to get off the field when you're giving up 6.8 yards per play. Uh, plays of 20 or more yards allowed. They're tied for 126th in the country. A lot of those came from Michael Penix Jr., but they've still given up way too many big plays um, in, in each and every other game. Sacks versus FBS teams. Uh, I remind you, they had six against North Dakota State, but they were an FCS school. When you look at just the FBS opponents they played, they were uh, tied for 104th in college football, which, when you compare it to the other stats, doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> Almost out of triple digits. And finally, first down pass conversions on third and 10 or longer tied for 104th in the country they have had a tough time getting off the field on critical third downs they call them money downs this season they had a chance to get a few stops on uh that last memphis scoring drive unfortunately they went 0 for 3 on getting off the field on third down memphis goes down and uh they they basically put the game away with that last touchdown boise state counter with the touchdown out of that but they needed an onside kick and basically a miracle to point out the game since to pull out the game since they scored that last touchdown um those are those numbers are more than alarming. And the, the, the scary thing for me, Shane, is I don't, in this case, I don't know what the answer is. Ashton Genty can save the offense. Another step by Taylor Green can, can really help this offense. The offensive line has been outstanding over there. I just don't know what we look at at this defense and say, okay, man, well, we're just going to try to play to this guy's strengths, and hopefully that helps everybody else out. They're just – there simply hasn't been like a really elite part for this defense that you can lean on right now. As a whole, the defense to me is in the same predicament as the quarterback situation. 
it's just that's one guy versus eleven. Just, <laughs> right now we, it's just we're uncertain on who's gonna make a play. Yeah, especially when you're missing guys, and I think the third and seven, when we're down by three, they're on the twenty-five yard line mm-hmm. maybe. Third and seven, the last third down they had of the game, and I'm like, oh yeah, we're gonna get. They're, they're going to run it because yep. they want to run some clock here. Yep. They're going to run the ball. We're going to get a stop. They'll kick a field goal, make it or miss it, but, you know, we're only down by six. Yep. Or or they miss it and we're down by three. We go score. We win this game. To watch them run the ball on third and seven and get 14. Yeah. It, Was that the one they go up the gut and a bunch of missed tackles? Oh, yeah. Yeah. To watch that and you know, like, if you just get that stop, you're off the field. Mm-hmm. I think I threw my remote, so it was yeah, it was rough to it was rough to watch. Uh, that, well, we, we'll that file is, that uh, expense report to the Boise State <laughs> football offices. Yeah, it was it was rough, and that is kind of how our season's been. You mm-hmm. know, when it's time to make that play, we I feel like everyone is, is expecting someone else to make the play, and so we're all just not. We just someone needs to be the guy, mm-hmm. but no one's stepping up and being the guy. Yeah. I'm going to predict Rodney Robinson gets a pick this week. I don't know why I'm going to say that, but I just feel like he's been really close over the last couple of weeks. Um, that being said, you, you're uh, you're you're right, man. Like it just Shayla Depot looked really good at times last week. Um, Agreed. With he that. he had. I think there was one play that he would like to have back, but outside of that, Shay looked really good last week. Um, you just it's just requiring a lot of patience right now and. I it, this is college football. You get twelve Saturdays. You get twelve guaranteed Saturdays, mm-hmm. which means you patience is at a premium. It, it, you just you know, it, it's tough to keep saying that, especially when you hit the six game mark of a season. And um, you know when it when it comes to this defense, it, it, it seems like at points and times in the past we could pick apart. Oh, this might be wrong. Oh, this might be wrong. Right now, it is a very broad issue, and so I asked Andy Avalos this week, what is something the Broncos can immediately get better in, or what is the one thing they need to focus on, and that he feels it will snowball from there? Take a listen. We can fix those things. That starts with us and making sure that we fully understand, that our players fully understand what we are doing and when we are doing it, and then the communication on the field, how we set that. The second thing is always about our eye control and how our eyes put us in position, put our feet, put our body in position to execute and win our one-on-one with the fundamentals and techniques. And this game can become very, very complicated. You can run whatever schemes you want on defense. The bottom line is it comes back to those. We say it all the time, the fundamentals and techniques make the scheme. And we do have the players that have the ability to execute the fundamentals and techniques they've shown to do that. We as coaches got to create an environment where it's an expectation and a standard. And our players, again, we had a great we had a great meeting yesterday. We had a great discussion. And we broke off in the position meeting rooms. And we had a great practice where that is going to be the priority as we move forward. Um, this game can become very complicated. We can look for all these, what is the answer, what is the answer. It is very simple. Playing great defense starts with discipline and mentality. That's where it starts. So, Shane, that's a message that it's not refreshing because we have heard that all season long. After the UW game, eye control. After Air, or after um, uh, UCF, a couple of big plays, eye control. There, it seems like a again. I I don't I, I hate the taking the critical route at everything, but what is the disconnect? It's the old just do your job. Yeah. It's that simple. 
So why, but why is it so hard to do your job? <laughs> as bad as this sounds, uh, as the average person look outside looking in, yeah. when you often hear like, you know, coaches saying just do your job, the problem is you have 11 guys on defense. All 11 of those guys were absolute superstars where they mm -hmm. came from, right? And so wherever they play, whether it be California, Oregon, you know, Texas, Florida, those guys were in a scheme where I'm, I can almost guarantee you they probably didn't always do their job in their scheme, but they always made the play yeah. because they were the guy. Yeah, and they're, so they, let's they, look were, at, they were athletically better yeah, than everyone else they were going against. Take Ronnie Robinson. We can we see what he's doing every week. He's always around and he's right there. I'm sure in high school he was flying around killing kids and just <laughs> like because he you know he understands football right. Yeah. So that's why he's we had off earlier in the season against Washington. We're like, oh, he's seen this before, right? So he's a he's a guy, right? But at the college level, everybody on the field now is a guy. Are D1 yeah. guys, so you can't not do your job. Mm -hmm. So it's it's hard. I mean. It's, it's complicated, but it's simple. It's yeah. like just having an athlete who's so used to always making every play mm -hmm. go to a team where now I just have to do my job because that's someone else's job to make that play. It's hard to reprogram yeah. sometimes. And it's so weird. You, it's weird to think you're do less. Yeah, it's yeah because you've, <laughs> you you've been programmed in high school that I'm the guy, so I have to always make every play, or we're probably not gonna make the play. Mm -hmm. But now you get eleven guys who have the ability to make the play, but. That's what is in everyone's head. I have to make the play. So everyone's playing out of position, and they're trying to do too much mm -hmm. and not do just their job. Now you got guys out of position. Yeah. And it's not just – I mean, it's at every level, honestly. You see it happen often. I mean, I watched uh, – geez, who was that playing? The Chiefs. Mm -hmm. I watched the Chiefs play, and they just – they motioned a guy over from the right to the left all the way out, and the guy that motioned ran just an arrow out. Well, you see on the defense, every defender bumps – Except the last defender, he didn't bump. He stayed on his guy. Easy route completion. Easy route completion. It goes for like seven yards. He only needed two. But it's just one of those things. Is if he just does his job, everyone else bumps over to the new person. Mm -hmm. But one person didn't do it. And that cost you a first, that's first down. Yeah. And it's just tough. I mean, it comes from reps. I mean, and if they're doing it at that level, then mm -hmm. obviously we're gonna see a, you're going to see a ton of that at this level. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, this is a great point, Shane, because on top of all this – I do think there, even at the college level, there are probably exceptions, the Leighton Van Der Esch's of the world, the Scott Matlock's of the world, that are so good where they can probably play beyond what is being asked of them at times, but then they usually answer the call. Curtis Weaver, yeah. you know, just a dominant force off the edge. But when it comes to the overall talent of this, this defense right now, too, it is the ultimate you got to do your job. Mm -hmm. I almost liken this to, like, the 2012 defense, one of the best in school history, but you had – Tommy Smith, awesome mm -hmm. football player, wasn't ever a guy that was going to get drafted in the NFL. Yeah. Solid as all hell, though, right? Mike Atkinson, same deal. The yeah. one absolute dude you had on that defense was Jamar Taylor. But, again, he was, like, the ultimate, like, role guy, like, yeah. always did his job, right? Mm -hmm. And I, that, like, that was such a good a defense that it lacked the NFL talent that the 2011 defense had with Tyrone Crawford and Billy Wynn and Shea McClellan and the list goes on and George Iloka, the list mm -hmm. goes on. But that, that defense was so good, everybody did their job. They were all dialed. It's funny you bring that team up because I got a good old quote for you. And, and I think I want to say this is Avalos who 
might have been the one who said this. That would have been, I believe that would have been his first year of Boise D- State. D-line, D- right? Yeah, that would have been his right, first yeah, year so back. It's definitely Avalos. So Armand, obviously, who you know, is a really good friend of mine. He, Armand Nance. He, he, so he another played, guy. <laughs> he, played, he played D-line, and he said they're sitting in meetings. And it's funny. The story just matches up to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Demarcus Lawrence, obviously, uh, who's now Tank, where you guys know him as. Mm-hmm. So he's supposed to go outside on a certain play. Mm-hmm. And he goes inside, and the whole meeting, Avalos has just been ripping these guys because they're not doing their job. Mm-hmm. And you got a guy like Tank. He goes inside when he's supposed to go outside, but he makes the play. Yep. And this is after they went through about 15 plays of, you know, of him just killing them. And Avalos, he, Armand says Avalos tells him, he's like, you are not doing what you're supposed to do. So if you do the wrong thing, you better make sure you make the play. Mm-hmm. And right now, where we are with our defense, we are not good enough to go the right. wrong way and make the play. I forgot about Tank. I don't know how he could on that 2012 defense. That's an aw- I mean, that, that beautifully aligns with what's going on right now, too. But even Tank, Tank didn't start the season opener against Memphis, or against Michigan Tank State. Tank was a guy that came in. Yeah. He was in a rotation. Mm-hmm. But it just goes back to what you're saying. So even those elite guys that we had, they were doing the same thing. Yep. We were having some of the same problems. But obviously, Tank – is a big difference yeah. in what we have right now. He emerged, he came on, and, well, he was an NFL draft pick. And right now, I just – you look at everything they lost off of last year's defense, and this is – we knew that there was going to be some problems going in. Um, J.L. Skinner, Scott Matlock, it's other guys too, like Jackson Cravens and Isaiah Banya that both transferred out. Devin Wright transferred mm-hmm. out. Caleb Biggers was – I don't think the people appreciated how good he was at cornerback sometimes. He lasted to like the final day of the NFL camps with, with the Browns. He was clearly a big-time talent. Uh, Tyreek Jones, still with an NFL team on a practice squad. There, there was uh, George Tarlis. I still don't think people realize how good George Tarlos was in, in the time that Boise State had them because you could even see a lot of their pass rush numbers or pressures on quarterbacks really dipped, mm-hmm. and it all correlated when George Tarlos uh, was injured in that Air Force game. Um, so there really were some guys off last year's team, and they're just they're hey we might I think a couple years from now we're talking about Ty Benefield like that. I think Marco Notarini can really move. He's yeah. long. He's athletic, but we it, it's just at a point right now where. I wouldn't feel comfortable believing that anybody off this defense is going to be in the NFL next year. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. No, and again, it might happen a couple of years, but there that just suggests that they're not enough dudes to make up for when they're not playing perfect and doing their one eleventh, mm-hmm. and um, that just is what it is right now. So they, they've got to figure out a way to dial it all in. Spencer Danielson has never had more pressure on himself to dial it up perfectly than than he does right now. I mean, he's he's got to do probably the best coaching job that he has ever done given what he what he has right now and all these guys the coaches they all love these players they they preach it to the to the heavens and back how how much they like these guys but i, I think we can just see the reality of it is is that the numbers speak for themselves again we can operate in the gray and just guess or we can just back it up and say what needs to improve and what doesn't need to improve and i, I feel yeah. like we've i feel like we've kind of done that here today shane so now oh don't do it to me this will this will be one of the most interesting games we have seen on the blue in a long, long time. Boise State is welcoming San Jose State to town, a program that the Broncos have typically dominated over history. But the Spartans have a good quarterback. They have a great head coach. And they have the playmakers at wideout that just make you uneasy enough to realize this could be a tough game. How do the Broncos respond from all this adversity that they have faced 
not only this last week, but over the season and move forward against the Spartans, Shane? I mean, obviously, it's a statement game for us. At this point, we got to show some type of fight. And I'm not saying that we haven't shown some because to lose by three to Memphis at Memphis, it's not that's not a bad loss. I mean, not we, a bad loss. Memphis, it's a bad loss when you considered, man, it should have been a win. Correct. We played good enough to win. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't finish the game. That's the problem. Uh, obviously, to me, I just feel like we didn't make the adjustments. I feel like they did. We went up 17 and then we didn't respond. But this is a statement game because obviously it's a conference game. You know, we're not out of conference yet. Everything that they say with, you know, right now, Shane, after all these non-conference losses and the, and the non-con record under Andy Ablos, has, it's not been good. Not even we're near Boise State standards. I know it's been tough, but at Boise State, you expect to be tougher in, in games like that. But after all these non-conference losses, the thing they always say, our goal is, right in, is still right in front of us. It's winning a Mountain West Conference championship. Yeah. And so now – Again, hey, Bronco Nation might might sell out the stadium still despite this two and three start. It's a big, big game. I think I saw thirty five thousand already out. Yep, even and they're they're going to push a sellout. I think I really do. Um, what is your projection? Don't do it, Tim. Prediction? Maybe a projection should be with quarterbacks. Everything. Oh, How, however much you want to throw onto this. Do I get to pick based off of who starts and what. <laughs> <laughs> How, hey, however much hot sauce you want to throw on this thing, Shane, uh, what do you think happens on Saturday against San Jose State? Oh, man. I think if Talon starts, mm-hmm. my prediction is we offensively, we will score a ton of points. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did we score? 31 last week? 32 last week. They, had, they went for two at one point in time. So 30, 35, we'll, 32 we'll was last We'll still score week. in the 30s with yep. Talon, which – should be enough to win a game mm-hmm. with typical Boise State teams. Uh, with the defense we have, we might need to score 40 to win them. Mm-hmm. So I think we still get there with that. Um, if Madsen starts and has the whole game, I think you guys kind of get to see what I was referring to earlier with him having to play from zero to zero mm-hmm. and not just in a passing situation. Yep. Uh, I think we score in the 20s mm-hmm. with him. Uh, I think we, we score more points with Taylor. Because of just because of the what he brings to the table in the run game, mm-hmm. I I kind of agree with you there, Shane. I think that I again I really do love what I've seen from Maddox Matson at times this year. There's some little intuition that worries me a little bit it, that the run game might struggle a little bit more with him at QB, and that if they're th- they're they're forced to throw a lot more, that if he puts it in the air 30 times, he might turn it over two or three times. And if we've learned anything with this defense, this offense cannot lose the turnover battle. This defense is not good enough to overcome, you know, being placed behind in the race. And they, they have to win the turnover battle. That's the one thing that concerns me. And I, when we go back to earlier, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but with Taylor throwing over the middle or, or, or his, you know, his inefficiencies throwing over the middle, some of that stems from not turning the ball over too, which mm-hmm. Taylor has not done in back-to-back games now, which, again, with this defense – that that is that is pivotal if you want to have a chance mm-hmm. to win a football game. It's the but, field possession. We're just playing the field position game yeah. until we can bust one. So mm-hmm. that's why I feel with him starting, we score more points. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to end this on a uh, lighter note because, uh, as I did in the post game press conference and in the Monday press conference, a little Ashton Genty for you. Number one in the country still? in still in total touchdowns, still in yards from scrimmage probably in hurdles as well. Shane, as always, man, I appreciate you joining me 
on J Sports Bar. We will be back again next week, hopefully talking about a win following the San Jose State game. This is J Sports Bar serving the Idaho sports community. We'll send you out with Ashton Genty talking about why he loves hurdling people. The way I run as a ball carrier, you know, people don't want to tackle me up high, especially in space. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a thing where I already know it's going to happen by the demeanor, by the way they're coming to tackle me. And, you know, my, my legs are my biggest asset, so... Is that's probably the easiest way to stop people from hitting me in my legs. Also, it looks cool, so you know you can't can't go wrong with that.